You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. All right, lads, how's it going? Way, it's the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Oh, the boys. Oh, I, I, every, every week I try to think of a clever answer for how's it going. Mm-hmm. But uh, all I can think of is, oh, it's going, David. It, it's going. You, you know believe what? how much it's going. Ah, God. The future of Magic Esports. Boy, is that going. <laughs> it's going somewhere. What do you know about the future of Magic Esports, Al? Uh, it is uh, not the past nor the present, uh, but the future of Magic Esports. That's fair. Is Magic, uh, d- is it going to kill Magic? Uh, no, uh, Magic was dead when they got rid of the um, the mana burn rule. Uh, Magic oh, never yeah. the same since. Sorry. You know, um, actually, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I actually, I saw a thumbnail of the professor from uh, Tularian Community College posted a video of like, Magic is dead. It was a hysterical video. I didn't bother clicking on it. So obviously I can't touch it. But I'm fairly sure before he was a serious proponent that mana burn was good for magic gathering just just pointless rule isn't it that's just yeah that's just just an incorrect opinion in my opinion (laughs) well we all know about your opinions all they're a bit out there (laughs) (laughs) yes they are oh um do i have any ridiculous opinions right now i do not but i have have many opinions about it about um future of esports yeah me too too long i mean the internet is full of these opinions and uh we're a few days out from the announcement now, so a few days out. I think that usually means before. We're a few days mm-hmm. past the announcement now, so there's been lots of time for everybody's takes and uh, both considered and not considered. And yeah, this is this is our take. Yeah, Robocop was the best movie of the 20th century. That's um. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to disagree with you there, but anyway. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we have the future of Magic Esports announcement, as we have uh, not so subtly alluded to. And that is going to be pretty much the main topic for the show today. We might delve into a little bit of standard, what we've been playing, as I have the Arena MCQ coming up in just over an hour from the recording of this podcast. Oh, uh, we'll probably talk about it later, but do you have a deck locked in yet? Yeah, Nexus. Okay, let's see if you can change your mind <laughs> before the tournament starts. Uh-huh. Oh, no, I'm, all, I'm, I'm all with it. I'm a, I'm a Nexus proponent for sure. Okay. Yeah, I think... Please don't cast doubt on me because I'll just switch to. <laughs> no, just play Nexus. It's great. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's, you can't go wrong. All right, all right. Okay, so future esports. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time running down the announcement because anybody who cares about it has more than likely read it already. Um, I think it's it's fairly complicated and like multi-layered. But I, I guess the first thing that I want to talk about is just. The fact that it's like appreciated that they've communicated with us and actually given us like not a hundred percent of the details, but pretty much this is like the shape of magic of competitive magic, and most of the questions are answered, and people feel like okay, here's a thing that I can aim for now. Uh, there are some gaps, but just this method of communication is a huge improvement over literal radio silence for the last six months, or like announcements of announcements or half measures for the last basically two years so would you agree with that yeah totally agree i was very considering this was like a a very general announcement you know the future of esports just sounded like very sort of high level stuff i was really surprised with exactly just how much information we got and the fact that it went down to the level even of like uh you know regional qualifier like pptq style uh, qualifying events and what local shops can do and stuff like that uh, like i was i was really really happy with that because i thought that there was something they were going to push out even more even if they had the rest of this announcement in there yeah and then this this article is absolutely it's absolutely massive and i think part of the reason why it's so massive is that these changes uh, really benefit everybody uh, everybody from who's you know, um people who are involved in the game in so many different ways will benefit from this in so many different ways and all of it is covered here which is a uh, really I wouldn't say it's like without negatives, um, so I wouldn't say yeah, it of course, absolutely benefits everyone, but I think it, it's definitely a step up from what we had, which was very little and uh, almost no communication and very unsure about like in- Wizards' intentions and, and how they were determining things, etc. Um, so maybe we can talk about each aspect of it uh, separately. 
Um, so if I go to the article here, um, so at the at the top of the page, they give like a, here are the headlines of what's coming. The Magic Pro League has a clear path to pro with the addition of a new Rivals League. So how do you guys feel about this? So the Rivals League is basically a, a league underneath the MPL, uh, which will work on a relegation and promotion system, similar to other like sports or esports. And I think this was pretty much a no-brainer. Obviously, at some point, they had to uh, detail how it would be possible to enter the MPL or leave the MPL in the future. I think a lot of people were really worried that it would be like purely discretionary invites, like they've already shown uh, this past year with the the spots that they've um, that they've used after players left. And I think a lot of people were suggesting some kind of uh, tier below and a relegation and promotion system. So it, it really does seem like they took that on board and they ran with it, and it seems good to me. Yeah, I really like it because um, I think now that you mentioned it, I guess maybe this was this was always intended to be announced later on, but they didn't expect um, so many people to leave the uh, the MPL because um, I guess all of all of those all of those people who left the MPL were were you know, quote unquote surprises. Um, I think yeah, a big question mark was how do you get on? Uh, first, people thought it was like oh maybe it's just the next top player, but then yeah, as you saw, Wizards uh, how you had you know we're kind of given discretionary slots uh, in the MPL, uh, which is something I think is fine. It's something I think is important. Uh, well, I think it, that does create it, it does create a more um, more uncertainty as to what you actually need to get in uh, to the MPL. I think I think this rivals is a, this rivals league is very it's a very great way of kind of combining you know discretionary slots with uh, tangible um, you know kind of you know, uh, quote unquote achievement based ways of of getting into the uh, MPL eventually. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think like so the problems with the MPL this season were everyone like all the the kind of mid level pros were very annoyed and you know and like low people who aren't pros but have aspirations to be pro, which is really what they're trying to sell here. You know, there was no way like you know even if you won a pro tour, are you getting in the MPL? Doesn't seem like it always. You know, so people just had no idea what was happening. So it's really nice to have yeah that that laid out um, and also you know, the fact that it now gives stakes for the MPL. Honestly, like. I didn't bother watching any of the MPL weekly streams, even though I should be the key audience for it, because at first I didn't know what they were playing for, so I wasn't interested in in the stakes. And then when they announced that you just get a buy into day two of the next Mythic Championship, I was like, well, that's not really too exciting either. Like, these guys are already in the MPL. They're already making a ton of money. So, like, making a little bit more money from from one Mythic Championship for winning their their division or whatever is not particularly interesting to me either um so i think it's really nice now to have the stakes where you know you can you can get demoted to the rivals league or, or knocked out of the mpl and there's people that are going to be battling to try and get in and knock knock you out i think just makes the whole thing a lot more exciting uh like it does in the in you know regular sports as you said uh wolf and yeah i just i just think it's nice and it also gives people at lower levels you know a much clearer path of like you know, someone could just spike a few tournaments and end up in contention to get in the Rivals League, you know, from 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 organized play and stuff like that. Whereas realistically, that was never going to happen if it was just straight to the MPL was the the only option. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's similar to a point uh, Dave C made uh, while on stream during, it was one of the Fandom Legends, uh, that weekly tournament. Uh, he was saying it's almost like, something I agree with that, the Fandom Legends tournaments are almost better to watch, more entertaining to watch than the MPL League because in the Fandom League, you're seeing... You're seeing kind of you know great titans of the game playing against uh you know small streamers with you know modest followings and you're 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 kind of seeing people kind of really fight for for you know a you know a, a big win or kind of really really fight for him um, you know a win against these big players uh whereas yeah in the mpl it's almost like very kind of it's just like a very static way of playing when it's just you know you have all these pros playing back and forth for for a prize that affects nobody really that really affects nobody outside of the mpl uh whereas this kind of just changes the stakes so much and this now allows, um, yeah, like I say, you're, you're seeing uh, MBLs fighting for their position on the um, on, on on the league, and uh, rivals fighting to get in. Create a very interesting dynamic. It'll be great to watch. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And there are the the size of the MPL is going to be reduced down to 24, and basically a third of them will potentially drop out every season, and they're going to move to a, a mid-year season. So the season's going to like end and begin in August. So that's when like relegation will happen. They will go through like an MPL gauntlet to, you know, potentially try to win their spots back. And they're going to be in that gauntlet, which is obviously some kind of tournament series or a single tournament. We don't know specifically yet. Uh, They will be in that gauntlet with rivals. Uh, So the rivals will be trying to take the spots from the MPL players who who just kind of 
have quote unquote fallen out, but maybe they can win their spot back. So that that gives opportunity for cool stories. And yeah, I, I think this is cool. The Rivals League will be lower paid, lower appearance fees, and not qualified for like everything, whereas the MPL is qualified for everything. And the Rivals League was also going to have six discretionary slots. Um, I think that's fine for inclusion or whatever. Again, we don't know why or how they're going to use or decide to use these slots. Uh, but it is nice that they're like, hey, this is the exact number of discretionary slots. We're going to use them for whatever we want. Uh, again, it's unfortunate that we don't know the criteria, but whatever. I assume they're going to use it to promote diversity and hopefully not just put in the po- the top streamers because that just makes everyone feel bad. Um, diversity is much more much more appealing thing to use those slots for. But that said, I think it would be maybe more interesting to, I don't know, pr- cr- promote or create special leagues for diversity, like maybe like a, a women's only league. I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I don't know if that's a bad idea or um, like me suggesting that is sexist or in some some way, but like maybe there could be a special league with a slot reserved or some number of slots reserved for the winners of those leagues. Like a, a, le- a women's league, um, uh, like a non-white, uh, non-male league, um, a league for I don't know people from certain geographic regions. Yeah, it's. I think it's like it's it's complicated. I think I think the idea of like having a women's only league or whatever is fine. Like um, that's what they do in in chess, uh, for example. Which is uh, obviously all the women are allowed to enter all the the other tournaments as well, but just because it's a game where they've historically had trouble getting women to compete and wanting to get involved, you know, having women like women only tournaments, um, you know, does, does help give that a bit more of an incentive. It's kind of an old fashioned solution at this stage. And I think, as you say, it's like, where do you really stop when it's like now, you know, if we got to think about, you know, like, uh, you know, like, like, uh, like minorities and, and, and you know sexuality and gender and everything like that it's like it's it's not as simple as like back in the day when it's like well men and women are the only you know uh categories we have to consider it's like now there's there's a lot more kind of uh categories uh, as you say it's like maybe just split off yeah the white dudes from everyone else but but who knows <laughs> but uh I, th- I think basically it's like wizards have taken the approach already with the discretionary invites that they are just going to try and just just make the level the playing field just just through that um i think i think a, i think a women's league uh, could like could be a good idea or you know like women women plus plus non-binary or, or whatever you would want to uh define it as um but yeah it's a tough solution in a world where there's like you know there's so there's so many uh like categories of people now that are that are you know do exist and and are oppressed and and have disadvantages and, and we need we do need to combat that uh it's tough to come up with like one simple solution that that kind of does the job yeah that's true and maybe yeah. expecting too much of wizards to try to do try to tackle that so maybe the discretionary slots are just a better solution in general or at least in the short term and maybe other methods of inclusion and stuff like that can be worked towards in the future yeah, it's really complicated. Yeah. Like there's like in terms of like, you know, like a, the discretionary slots, if you compare them to like affirmative action or something like that, where, you know, people get a, like a university slots or or get hired for jobs because the company or university has to meet certain diversity quotas or whatever. Like that's kind of I was I was actually talking about this. I had a conversation last night in the pub about this where someone was disagreeing with a woman was disagreeing with it and saying, oh, I don't want to feel like I'm you know, just getting in somewhere because of my gender and, and people, you know, this this organization has to fill a quota. And it's like, my position is that like, people from those disadvantaged positions are so behind that it's like, even if that that's like a solution, that's a hammer when really you would prefer a scalpel. It's like, sometimes it's like things, things are so bad that you just have to like go with this, the, the best solution you can come up with. You know what I mean? So it's like, but it's, it's, but like a lot of people in those groups don't want to be that person that's just getting a slot because of because of their gender or because of their minority status or whatever. And you know what I mean? Especially in the world of like Twitter and Reddit and stuff like that and people posting nasty things from behind computer screens. It's like that also is going to lead to idiots abusing them online. You know what I mean? Because they're just going to be like, oh, well, you're only in this because 
X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah, I always thought, you know, a Twitter, a Twitter rage like that. Um, yeah, well, when the, when the last two discretionary slots uh, were filled. Um, I, I think, oh yeah, it's already good points you made. I feel like that these, the fact that these are six discretionary slot, slots, is, uh, it is kind of, it's very vague. And, you know, maybe something that, um, you know, let's say maybe for, I don't know, one, one season, maybe even like right now, Wizards just might have six people in mind. Uh, but then, yeah, later on, it's something they could try. They could try have, like you're saying, specific leagues. Uh, they might do it as a one-off or one slot uh, um, to see how what kind of feedback they get or what kind of reception that gets. And then maybe something they can do, you know, uh, basically, basically something they can do on the fly uh, as time goes on. Because, uh, yeah, because these are six slots they can just use whatever way they want. Uh, and and they, they might decide as, as time goes on what the best way to, to give those out are. Yeah, I will point out as well, this is in Wizards' business interest to to fix this problem, right? Because this isn't um, a case where, for example, with affirmative action, right, with a university or an organization or whatever, in those cases, you have the government having to put pressure with these quotas on these organizations to try and make things more fair. With wizards, it's like, they just they should just be trying to sell more products to these groups, right? And and getting more representation in, in the MPL and in these tournaments is a way to do that because people are going to see people like them you know, playing the game and on coverage and everything like that. And they're going to be excited about that and want to do it. So it's not like you have to push wizards to do this. It's just, a, it's also just a good business decision for them to do it and, and try and have as, as diverse a field as possible being shown on their coverage. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, way, the way you think about what businesses is, uh, if you know, say a lot of stakeholders in a business or shareholders in a business will, uh, they, a lot of them wouldn't even be aware of what the business does. You know, they're shareholders purely for the growth of the business or the fact that it's making money. So uh, if those you know, quote unquote blind shareholders are also if it, if this is also in the interest of those blind shareholders who may not not even know what magic gathering is uh, then it's definitely uh, it's definitely a good decision to make uh, if it even benefits uh, people so far already from the game yeah exactly and like we know that those players are there like for example it's like i think they have stats that what like 30 something percent i think of magic players are women or like maybe close to 40% but what, like, like definitely less than 5% of competitive players are women, you know? So yeah, yeah. women are playing Magic. They're just not transferring to wanting to play at this competitive level. So it's like that, like, it's not like you you even need to find new customers. You just need to convince them that that this aspect of the game is worth their time and and get them invested in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so yeah, the, this other, it's like a whole other market that's, that they haven't fully tapped into yet. And uh, this is a, a, a very good way to try and tap into that. Yeah. All right. And I think generally, yeah, you're better off trying to appeal to uh, a business's sense of making money than of doing the right thing. Although yeah. I do think that like wizards do have for a profit making company, like probably better, you know, uh, like ethics on, on that stuff than a lot of companies just because they're tapped into kind of a younger crowd and kind of the alternative gaming scene and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the image in that regard is quite important. So yeah, it's it's nice when when the the profitable option also overlaps with the uh, the good ethical option, and then yeah. then you, you end up with a good option. That's a that's a what we call a a good play. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, so that's the uh, that's the top of the game. Uh, that's the MPL and the Rivals League, and then a little bit down from that, we have the Pro Tour slash Mythic Championship, which is kind of well, that's what we would have considered the top of the game before, but it's kind of just a rung below the top uh, now. And also, it's gone. <laughs> There's no more Pro Tour, no more Mythic Championship. So the Mythic Championships on Arena are going to continue, but they're going to be going to the Mythic Invitational name, and they're going to have discretionary slots, like the Mythic Invitational did originally. And in Tabletop, the Pro Tour, or the Mythic Championship, is being replaced with the Players Tour, which is a regional tournament that is, again, it's invite only. You still have to qualify through PTQs, local P PTQs, and they will be region locked. So, or not region locked, but regionally held. So you qualify for the one in your region, but you could go to another one if you want to. Um, and there's going to be three per season, uh, as far as I believe. And, uh, or three per, yeah, three per season. And uh, yeah, so the, the, it'll be in the Americas, in Europe, and in Asia Pacific. And the top performers from those get to go to the Players Tour Finals, which is, guess, a level above a Pro Tour now, or maybe it's equivalent to a Pro Tour, but it's a much smaller tournament. It's probably, I think it's like 128 players. 
and um 128 players do, do, do. okay it'll be top finishers from the players tour based on record uh top finishers from previous players tour finals all 24 mpl players each grand prix winner in a qualifying season so it's a approximately 120 players and they have a bigger prize pool so it's it's much more profitable for each individual person um so yeah and and obviously the the path to qualify for these will be through uh players tour qualifiers ptqs wpn qualifiers which i'm not really too <laughs> sure on the difference between players tour qualifiers and wpn qualifiers other than one of them has a minimum number of players like it has to be 128 players minimum and it has to be uh, a premium wpn store so yeah anyway this uh this is the this is the new path to competitive magic and the pro tour or the players tour as it's now called uh it, it will also be fed by premier series uh what they're calling premier series which are things like uh seg so seg will once again provide uh pt invites and the the latam magic series for uh that is being put on by Bazaar de Baghdad and you know hopefully maybe the MKM series in the future so things like that uh, what do you guys think about this so th this is the area that really is probably going to affect us the most because this is these are the events that we'll be playing it's going to kill this magic is... this is going to kill magic it's terrible this this is going to kill the magic that we've known for the past year and the magic we've known for the past year was not good but this is going to kill not good magic and replace it with good magic exactly got PTQs you. Thank you for interpreting, Al. That is exactly what I meant. <laughs> uh, yeah, PTQs are back. They're, they're, the P doesn't sound for pro. It sounds for player, but there's more players than pros, so it's better for more of us. But this is very good. I'm, I'm happy with this. Yeah, it's actually, it's not quite clear what to... So we have yeah, we have a pro tour qualifier... Sorry, players tour qualifiers, which I guess they are, are equivalent to MCQs now or PTQs you know, before, before. Um, then, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this now as well. It's, it's not quite clear what... Uh, WPN qualifiers are um, if that's like a rung below PTQs is that taking is that filling the same kind of role as PPTQs before uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll find it soon but it's it's not from what I can see here I don't, I don't think it's quite clear um, well there's no or PTQs for people to qualify for for their for for PPTQs to exist right well I suppose so like, you're gonna, well, using that terminology uh, or PTQs are replaced by PTQs yeah, but you don't have to qualify for them. Yeah, you can just go to a PTQ. So, like, uh, so I'm saying the WPL yeah, yeah, sure. can't be preliminary because there's nothing for them to be preliminary to. You know what I mean? So that I, I assume they are yeah, just yeah. also qu straight qualifiers to the players tour. I, Do we have yeah, details yeah. on that? I don't know. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's not you know, it's, it's not quite clear here yet. Um, control F search. Um, well, hold on. Uh, uh, the description. Oh, it looks like yeah. The, the description yeah. in the article says that the players tour qualif players tour qualifiers will be single day tournaments similar to the current MCQs, so that they're going to continue being PTQs. So they will you will call them PTQs. They will be PTQs, single day. Uh, everybody shows up. It's big. You play it. The winner goes to the to the players tour. The WPN qualifiers. It says WPN stores will have the ability to run their own qualifying tournaments. There will be multiple structures available to them, including a multi-day structure with feeder events that we expect to be popular. So that sounds like they're going to have, like, let's say, flights on the Saturday, uh, flights of like maybe 16 players or whatever, and then the winners of those uh, essentially like top eight on into the next day or maybe more than eight, I don't know, and it can have a, a second day. Um, and in the PTQs, uh, everybody gets the promo card, which is Cryptic Command, and in the WPN qualifiers, you get the store gets 32 promo cards. But I don't really understand the difference here between it says PTQs similar to the current Mythic Championship qualifiers. And then for WPN qualifiers, it says WPN, WPN stores will have the ability to run their own qualifying tournaments. I mean, isn't that what the PTQs were before anyway? Don't they run their own qualifying tournaments? Yeah, I guess they're just stating, I guess it's like the PTQs are just going to be sort of like all the same work all the same way. They're going to be like the GP style ones. And then they're just, is this because people were like complaining about nationals being gone, not having their kind of own local sort of two day prestige tournaments. And this is giving local stores an option to do that type of event without Wizards having to commit to something like nationals. Maybe. I think so, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a line here that says um, you can qualify for a player tour event by winning or placing very highly 
at a qualifier level event. These include uh, PTQs, WPN qualifiers, Grand Prix Player Tour Series, and Magic Online events. So it, it is grouping WPN qualifiers in the same bracket as PTQs. They're both qualifiers. Yeah, I, I think that they are the same, but it's just that, yeah, I guess there's more structures available. Like you can run them in different ways, uh, whereas the PTQs are more rigid. They have to be run the same way every time. But they... And like stores obviously can't run these things whenever they want because there's only a certain number of slots for the players tour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, th- this is, yeah, I, I guess this is one of the areas where not all the details have been fleshed out yet. So they probably yeah, need to yeah. give us a little bit extra here. I know that there is another article on the WPN site that has a little bit more information about these, but I still wasn't really able to glean from reading that if there was uh, like what exactly the difference was between the two. Of course, I'll link that and, and this article that we're reading from now in the show notes. But yeah, I don't know. Sounds good overall, right? Yeah, I think it's great. It's great. Events, Events are back. They didn't exist for the last year in Ireland and they're back. <laughs> yeah, so well, yeah, hopefully, well. Jesus, hopefully we get them. Yeah, I suppose it's, you know, I'm on the subject of this article up here, but um, I mean, yeah, you know, for, for uh, the PTQs or the other qualifiers, you know, you, you need to be a premier store. Um, at the moment, there's no you know, premier stores in Ireland. Um, but the, the, the criteria to, you know, for a store to become the premier WPN store is quite high. We'll see. Yeah, like, I'm not sure. Like, if, if the PTQs are continuing as normal, then I guess Ireland doesn't get any of those, continues not to get those. And the WPN qualifiers sound like maybe they could, but I don't know. I'm guessing Ireland still will not get these. Magic is dead. This has killed Magic. It's like I'm, I'm negative on it again now. Uh, and uh, I, I, I opened this other article, and this other article is saying the opposite to what we said. Um, so they're saying that Wizards, Wizards Play Network qualifiers are um, are like existing MCQ. So it's WPNQs that are like MCQ. And the Pro Tour qualifiers are kind of a separate thing um, where uh, you know WPM members and other organizations can run uh, PTQs can license a package from Wizards that includes all, all that stuff. Um, so MCQ equals WNPQ, uh, and PTQs are different. But in the in the main article, it says the opposite of that, that PTQs are like the existing MCQs, and WPN qualifiers are a new thing. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> There's some conflicting information here. Um, okay. All right. Well, again, we can't really give too much of a... A verdict on this without more details i think but it seems fine it seems like the same system that we had before like not the pptq system which obviously was better for us in ireland because we're a small community but the the ptq system seems to be pretty much the same with the opportunity for more uh, events which is always good uh, about grand prix grand prix now qualify the top eight into the into the regional uh, players tour the rpt and qualifies the winner into the players tour finals so there's now a big disparity between the winner and the second place of uh of grand prix now so i think that grand prix kind of are on a similar level now to i feel like these ptqs i mean we were already feeling that we are we're already saying that grand prix were glorified mcqs and i think this kind of solidifies it even more except for the fact that the winner gets a much better prize yeah, I think this actually brings back a lot of prestige to winning a Grand Prix, which is nice. Yeah. That's... Before, it was like, you know, you top eight, you won it, whatever. Like, a lot of the players are probably sp- splitting the prize in the top eight, for the most part, anyway. Where, you know, this this actually makes it, like, all to play for in the top eight, which is nice. It'll make GP coverage, you know, more exciting. If <laughs> GP coverage. Yeah, I presume we'll get more of that now if there, if there are more prestige events. Presume. Yeah, hopefully. Well, yeah. Uh, one one thing that is left out of this announcement and has been criticized by a few people online, including um, Lucas Esper Bertud, who is a member of the MPL, and Sam Black, who is like a pro Magic player, but not in the MPL, uh, was that there is no system or there is no structure in this system for people to string a few near misses together into any kind of a pro level. So like back when we had, you know, gold and silver and whatever, you could do moderately well in a few events and keep the train rolling but if you fall kind of outside of the qualifying level which i think is going to be 11 and 5 for the pro tour i I think they said no sorry 13 and 2 13 and 2 or better 
which in most cases is going to put you in the top eight anyway. Uh, then you'll be qualified for the regional players tour. And yeah, there doesn't seem to be any point system so far. However, on Twitter, after this announcement, the Magic Esports account did say that they are planning a system uh, where people can kind of chain a few near misses together. So that's good that, that, that they're aware of that and they're going to do something to to um, facilitate that. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they didn't state that in the announcement initially, just like, hey, we know you guys are going to have this question. Information will be forthcoming. Like, it's it's odd to me that someone had to ask for them to 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 say that. But maybe that's just an oversight. Maybe that's me being too critical. I don't know. Yeah, I think because there's so much information here, it's already such a large article. I mean, it is possible to miss stuff. Um, even even on the Reddit thread um, of this article, uh, there is someone from uh, from from Wizard from like a WhatsApp account uh, on the Reddit thread kind of answering questions as they come up. Um, so I think it's yeah because it did, these these changes are so complicated and there's so many different uh, kind of aspects to question and so many different you know gaps that could be missing. Uh, I, I think I think it's reasonable that some things are left out of this original account. Or this original article. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean it's it's a massive article, <laughs> anyway, and it's quite comprehensive, but it just didn't cover everything, and I think that's fair enough. You can't really expect it to cover absolutely everything. Like they've been they've been pretty up in the air about all of this for you know basically two years now. So it's good to just even get this level of like planning and you know future like what to look forward to and what to think about and what to aim for in the future. So yeah, if a few things fell through the cracks, okay, but at least they're being worked on and that's uh, positive. Um, I, yep, definitely. I think that's pretty much it for the tabletop part and the arena part. Arena is quite similar to the way it is now. So there's not much else um, apart from the Mythic Championships being renamed to Mythic Invitationals. And um, yeah, that's... That's going to stay the same. And then we have a couple of extra ways to qualify. So now it's going to be... So at the moment, the top 1,000 ranked players in Limited and Constructed get qualified for the Arena Mythic Qualifier Weekend uh, if you if you finish in the top 1,000. And they're going to change it to the top 1,200, which is... I think that's good. It's more generous. Uh, it was weird that your rank showed up to 1,200, like your numeric rank showed all the way down to 1,200. But if you finished like 1100, you didn't qualify for the thing. It just felt like weird. So they should have either changed it one way or the other, you know, make it so that your rank doesn't show below 1000 or make it so that all the numeric ranked people qualify. And I think they took the more generous option here because I, I guess it doesn't really matter to them. Uh, the top, so the top 1200 players are going to qualify. Then we're also going to have uh, mythic qualifiers and mythic point challenges. So these are uh, Mythic Qualifiers and Mythic Point Challenges. Uh, so the Mythic Invitation will be fed by two Mythic Qualifier tournaments with the top 1,200 ranked players. Do, do, do. Yeah, so that's fine. Uh, top 16 in each tournament will be invited to the Mythic Invitational, so same as before. And there will be Mythic Point Challenge tournaments. Oh yeah, all players who make Day 2 will earn Mythic Points whether they reach the top 16 or not. Finally, Mythic Point Challenge tournaments will not feed other events, but will award Mythic Points. Qualifying for these events will require the same ranking as Mythic Qualifiers. So it's going to be an extra tournament that you can play to get just Mythic Points, um, which is good for the Arena players because that will help them top up their Mythic Points to qualify for the World Championships. So that's that's what all this stuff eventually qualifies for, is the World Championships, and it's the World Championships are basically not not really changing. Yeah. Sorry, is Worlds going to be an arena event now, or is it still a paper event? I don't know. I guess they don't don't address that. In this. I, w I would imagine if it's partially arena players, they're going to make it an arena. Yeah, I mean, it's better for, for um, spectating anyway. So if it's going to be... Well, the, there might be... Maybe it'll be split, because doesn't Worlds have like... A split split formats like draft and standard it has a modern sometimes too right mm. i guess that that'll be probably be handled on a on a year by year basis yeah, yeah. that's it that part's yeah. interesting but yeah that's it that seems good to me i don't know it's like i feel like worlds has kind of fallen off the last couple of years as an event people really care about um so that that change sounds good yeah well, worlds has also been delayed this year so it's been pushed from i think it was scheduled for november or december and it's been pushed to February to accommodate all these changes. So 
because they want to move to a mid-year um, season, so the season uh, ends and, and begins anew in like August, the, mid, the World Championships are now going to be in August. But that would mean that we kind of like skip a year of World Championships. So instead, they've pushed this one to February. And then, so the one that should be this year is getting pushed to February. And then there won't be another one again in 2020. And the one in 2021 will be in August. So they're kind of just pushing it a little bit to make the time between each one even. But it basically means that there won't be a World Championships in 2019. Yeah, that's grand. Yeah, that's all just kind of like structural stuff that really is not a big deal. And it's just has to be done to accommodate the the change in structure and this the whole partial season. It's also affecting exactly how many people are like leaving the MPL and being promoted to the MPL. So yeah, that 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 will be that will be important for those people. But for the majority of players, the partial season is fairly irrelevant. What do we got next? I think that's it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, I think we covered the whole thing. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of information, big article, but uh, well done, Wizards. Uh, brought back magic from the dead. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe it, it may be back from the dead, but if it still has a corpse counter on it, only time will tell. Dear God. Maybe it's going to be black in a 4-4 instead of a... That's a great point, Al. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am feeling generally positive about these changes. Uh, when I read the article, I was like, oh, here we go again. Because it just like dropped out of nowhere on like Wednesday or something, was it? I don't know. And I was just like, oh, no, this is going to be... They've changed everything again. What's happening? And they they have changed everything again, but I think for the better this time. Uh, as I mentioned before, Lucas Esper Bertud and uh, Sam Black both have been very vocal about this on like Twitter. And Sam Black has an article in Star City, and uh, Lucas wrote a a good post on or spikes about like what these changes mean for different levels of players. And I think th- those two guys are the, are the main people that I've seen be negative, somewhat negative about these changes. And they do bring up really good points. But I think that overall, the positives outweigh the negatives. And even just even just the like the effort to communicate and the like the way that Wizards have have announced this have just made me <laughs> feel more positive about it. Maybe they're kind of maybe they're like blinding me with just being forthright and like explaining exactly what's happening and i'm like oh this is so much better than what i had before even though what i had before was abysmal so i don't know yeah there could be and just to be clear i I read that sam black article on sug and to be clear he did he does state that he does think that the the positives outweigh the negatives here and even though he's his most of his article is about the negatives he states that that's just because there's not much to say about the positives they're just clearly positive so he, he that's why he goes into a lot more critical detail about the negatives yeah and that's a great point uh, i think jerry thompson has been a little bit critical of this as well but again jerry is a <laughs> jerry's pretty famous for being critical of wizards so that's fair enough i yeah. say that to delegitimize his concerns because there are actual concerns here but yeah, overall, I think a lot of positives to take away. Yep, totally agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for the future of Magic Esports announcement talk. Uh, shall we talk about Standard a little bit? I've got this Arena MCQ coming up in a little over 30 minutes, or a little less than 30 minutes. So we got to wrap this episode up. Yeah, that's cool. Do you, do you maybe just want to talk about your uh, your deck choice and kind of your thought process, the different stuff you tried out and, and how you landed on what you landed on? Yeah. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I am going to be playing Nexus. I think it's in a good place at the moment because it's just not being respected because it's not seen as much. And I think this is a train of thought that like Martin Musa posted a, an article on Channel Fireball the other day about Mono Red. And he was like, yeah, people stopped respecting Mono Red, so it's good again. And I think the same is also true of Nexus. Um Unfortunately, there are some elements of the metagame that are naturally hostile to Nexus, which I don't think is always true about Monored, so maybe Monored could be an overall stronger choice. But I do still think that Nexus is strong enough to even fight through those kind of those hate hateful cards. And I mean, mainly I'm talking here about Teferi. Um, there are what I would say three popular decks that 
a main deck Teferi. So you have to have a plan for for the Teferis in the main board. Uh, those decks are Esper, Bandscape Shift, and Band Ramp. And I've seen a lot of Esper the last couple of days. But I'm still pretty confident in my ability to beat Esper as Nexus. I think the... Mm, I, I Like, with Blast Zone in the main, you can usually use that to remove the Teferi and just do your normal game plan in game one. And then I think with sideboard negates, Veil of Summers, and Shifting Ceratops, I think you're pretty favored post-board as well. A lot, oftentimes, they just don't have a lot of answers to the Ceratops. Or if they do, those answers will allow you to do your other game plan as well, which is, like, like let's say they have a D-Spark or a Noxious Grasp for the Ceratops, then you'll be able to play your Tamiyo uh, and, you know, get value off Tamiyo that way. But yeah, so that that's kind of how I arrived at the idea of Nexus. I, I had played loads of other decks. I think almost any deck is viable at the moment, um, but I think a strong proactive deck that ignores a lot of things is a good choice right now. Yeah, I totally agree with you um, about Nexus, especially about the the Esper matchup. Especially if you have a lot of reps with it, like you've been playing Nexus, you know, for since since what the start of last season or whatever, since it, it really took off, or, or even before then. And I think that deck is like I think the Esper matchup was already fine if you really knew it and could play it well. And then just having access to these busted sideboard cards really just swung the matchup. Uh, in your favor, as you say. So there's also the fact that, like, I think a lot of people playing Esper that this MCQ might not be all that experienced on it. They might just be going back to it now because it's like, you know, the uh, like the, the the kind of the trend has swung that way, and people are saying Esper is good again and stuff like that. I think people get really taken in by that, and so there might be a lot of people playing it just because they think it's a good choice and not because they really have like all that many reps with with the deck, or at least they haven't played it in probably a couple of months. So I don't really understand the kind of the love for Esper at the moment. Um, I haven't had any trouble beating it on the ladder with a variety of decks. And yeah, I think it will show up in good numbers, but it's not going to be a problem for you. Yeah, I agree, definitely. Yeah, it definitely seems like a, a good choice for this weekend for all of, for all of those reasons. And um, yeah, and also like the same for us, like people, when people no longer respect Mono Red, um, they, yeah, it's like that, that, that kind of manifests as they're not having any specific cyborg cards for Mono Red. The kind of sideboard cards you might have for something like uh, vampires will overlap with what you need for mono red. Whereas if people don't respect it, if people don't respect uh, Nexus, it's like there's because Nexus is such a linear, you know, um, uh, specific strategy. Uh, if you don't respect that, if you, if you lose some respect for that, then you have very few ways to actually combat it. Uh, so I, I think it's a very good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think there is some overlap between Nexus and some other decks. Like for example, if you're playing against blue black decks like Esper, uh, a lot of them now have several copies of Unmoored Ego in the sideboard uh, to combat Scapeshift. So usually, like, I think it pretty much is Esper's plan that they need to cast, like, two Unmoored Ego against uh, against Scapeshift because they need to cast one to get rid of the Field of the Deads and they need to cast the other one to get rid of Hydroid Crisis and then they can just win. So they're bringing in multiples and they can use it against you to take away your Nexus of Fate and to take away whatever else as well. But obviously, Veil of, Veil of Summer is good against that plan, but that doesn't work when they have Teferi out. So you certainly can lose that way, but my sideboard plan involves bringing in basically everything. Uh, I usually side out, obviously, my Root Snares. I often side out all my Growth Spirals, especially uh, on the draw, because I think you don't really need that velocity. And I sideboard out maybe a couple of Chemisters Insight because they're more expensive. Like, sometimes I sideboard out Opt, sometimes Chemisters Insight. I prefer to sideboard out one or two canvases inside, even though they're good against Esper because they're more expensive. So the, the opponent is more likely to have either Teferi or Narset down before you cast the Chemister's Insight. So uh, sideboard out some combination of those things, bring in four Veil of Summer, two Negate, four Shifting Ceratops, and two Ooze. What's it called? Biogenic Ooze. Yeah. And yeah, that's basically my plan post-board. Of course, it's not great because... Again, Noxious Grasp, D-Spark, they hit those some of those things. Um, but you can just overload them, and you can catch them with their pants down, metaphorically speaking. Like if you have a Shifting Ceratops with haste and they just don't have a removal spell, it's going to win you the game very, very quickly. A lot of decks are, for some reason, I'm seeing a lot of Esper control without Hero. And a lot of the Esper decks are removing things like Oath of Kaya. They're removing um, like Basilica Bellhaunt. And they're putting back in Narset. 
and a lot of them have Liliana as well. So Liliana is absolutely atrocious versus S, uh, versus Nexus, and uh, Narset is very good. Uh, I've been under you know several several games the last couple of days. I've been under Narset and Teferi at the same time, and that is not a good feeling. But like one blast zone gets you out of that situation. So if you can play around it, you can play smartly and and still win from that position. Uh, I'm telling you, dude, just play drawn from dreams. It's so good. Maybe I haven't really considered. I think I that's what I played all all last season when I was playing Nexus. I, I took out most of my canisters insights for drawn from dreams when there was a lot of narsets around, and it was absolutely excellent. Yeah, maybe it could be on something. Maybe it could be on something. I don't know. Just try maybe just one copy as an out. You know what I mean? When you've got yeah. your Ascanto up and running and you need extra cards, just drop one chemistries for one drawn from dreams in the main. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, because a lot, a lot of the time when against me when opponent results drawn from dreams, I'm like, oh, that's, there's very little way I can win now. Um, yeah. Yeah, in selection. So maybe it's a yeah, one off sense, right? Yeah, true. So yeah, I think it's a strong deck, strong proactive plan that can race aggro decks in game with root snare, of course. Um, so like you're pretty, I think you're pretty even against vampires game one. Uh, you're probably a slight dog. Oh my god! Sorry, something fell here. Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> Sorry. You're probably a slight dog to something like Jun dinosaurs, just because they get so big so fast, and you, you're pretty much committed to root snare from like turn three onwards, maybe. Um, what else? Uh, again, scapeshift. Usually, usually scapeshift is quite an easy matchup. Uh, the only problem again is Teferi. Um, and you know, there's a bit of a tension between like, do you keep the root snares in after board because sometimes they just go for escape shift and you're forced to like they can just kill you out of nowhere. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a fairly good choice. My, as I said, I've been playing it the last couple of days, and my win rate is very good with it. I'm not, <laughs> not sure exactly what it is because I haven't been properly tracking my games, but I would probably put it somewhere like above 65 percent maybe maybe looking at about 70 percent with it uh at the nice. that's in is that in mythic too or where are you at at the moment yeah at the moment i am ranked number 70 in mythic you just need oh, one yeah. more rank what? Ooh, nice one more spot oh yeah <laughs> that's okay i was uh i was ranked number 69 at the start of this season when i qualified into mythic yeah i got Six i was number. ranked 69 last season too i got a screenshot for twitter yeah got for it. the clout <laughs> So yeah, before I landed on Nexus, I was considering Mono Red just because of that. Like Mono Red is is my scariest matchup as Nexus. I think um, obviously Vampires and and Jund are also a bit scary because they can they can certainly get there. But uh, Mono Red is probably the most consistent at beating Nexus, and I think there will be people playing Mono Red at this tournament. But I think there'll be more people playing Esper, and hopefully the Esper will keep the Mono Red down. Although it's not. I don't think it's Swiss paired, or maybe. Yeah, I guess you're paired by record. I'm not 100 percent sure. It's a little bit. I think it's Swiss-ish. Yeah, Swiss-ish. There's a you have to win ten, or like the maximum number of wins this time is ten instead of eight before. Uh, I guess that's because the number of people playing should technically be bigger because there were three qualifying seasons, so max six thousand people, I suppose, which is an absurd number of people. But I assume it'll be much less than that. All right, stay hydrated. Yeah. Also, I have to be up early for work yeah. in the morning, so if I, I if I just go O2, that's also fine. No, it's not. <laughs> no, <laughs> these are gonna be long matches too. You gotta, you gotta get the get that monster energy going. You're gonna play ten rounds in X's. All right, I, I think probably like ten and one or nine and two are also good enough for the for day two. So we'll see. I don't want to hear it. You're not dropping a game. All right, I'm gonna gonna ten O it. All right, well, anything from you guys on the standard front or other formats? No, I've just been playing Vampires, just uh, just hanging out, doing my thing, you know? Just uh, just casting turn three Champion of Dusk, drawing four cards, all that sort of nonsense. Deck still seems great. I'm still grinding to Mythic at the moment in Diamond, so for me, it's just a good deck that gets fast wins, and uh, you can, yeah, you can just you can just get through ranked pretty fast. Uh, yeah, right now, I'm just playing a lot of Modern. Um, yeah, kind of playing, playing different variants of Greentron, trying different, different um, you know, sideboard plans and cardboard plans uh, uh, in preparation for MCQ in a few weeks. Um, I wasn't playing with Standard. I, I did play in the shop. Uh, one thing I did want to say was that in the shop, I lost to an infinite mana combo, which I haven't seen before. Um, I played against a, a player who, uh, yeah, basically, it was like he, he, he had um, he had you know, the green layout out, he had a uh, Nissa out, he had to go, uh, he had a uh, uh, Grow Chamber Guardian, um, 
Garden? Oh, sorry. The um, oh, what's what's the two mana mana creature? That incubation druid. Incubation druid. Yes, incubation druid out. Uh, and you know, it's like two Nissalans. But I was, I was playing Phoenix. I had like you know, I had a big attack in the air. Uh, I was on twenty life. Uh, he'd about nine toughness on the board. So I'm like, yeah, fine. I, I, I don't really think I die here on the backswing. And he, he just has some green and white on the battlefield, green and white mana sources. I'm thinking, yeah, there, there's not really much uh, that I can lose to here. Um, so then he plays. He, he uh, yeah, he he casts Gauntlets of Light. First of all, he adapts his Crow Chamber Guardian. I'm like, fine, that's you know, three toughness. Then he casts Gauntlets of Light on it. You know, Gauntlets of, of Light enchantment from N20. I do. Uh, enchanted creature gets plus two plus so and assigns common damage equal to its toughness. So brought it in his power. So when I saw that line of text, I'm like, all right, this is he's obviously playing some kind of terrible deck. Um, this this will be fine. Um, and then uh, it also has enchanted creature has two white untapped his creature. So then he's able to um, tap and untap his creature to make infinite mana, and, and then use the activated ability of um, the green A line over and over again, and uh, and then kill me. Uh, so that, that was a, a pleasant surprise. Uh, it, was, it was pretty hilarious. And then uh, in game two, um, I saw what the deck was really trying to do uh, was he had um, he had the one drop elf, you know, the one two that gets plus two plus two when there's three lands in the graveyard. So he's playing that, and he's playing Lotus Field. Uh, and then Lotus Field has that same interaction. If it's made into a Nissa land when you have the Green Ley Light out, uh, you can make infinite mana with a Cotton Little Flight. That's sick. So it's, yeah, it was, <laughs> I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen the deck anywhere. Uh, uh, so I did not realize there's an infinite mana combo in standard, but at last, uh, there is. But uh, so that's, that's something to watch out for, Wolf, if you see this at your high level tournament. <laughs> okay. I think it's probably like a Saffron Olive against the odds deck, right? Maybe it is. Yeah. I, I, I'll look him up again. I, I, because usually I, I kind of keep track of what he's doing, but um, or and usually if, you're, if there's something like that, you kind of hear about it kind of passively on Reddit or something. But I, I hadn't heard about this. <laughs> I hadn't heard about this at all. Mm. Uh, and very entertaining. Did did you win the match, or did did the opponent beat you then with the Lotus Field? I I, I lost. Yes. Yeah. So game one, he had a green and white mana. Uh, game two, uh, he played. I, I hadn't seen it. He had played the fairy. Uh, I had like um, I finales in my hand. So uh, Teferi just completely wrecked me. Uh, I, I didn't expect to see Teferi because I didn't see you know, blue mana sources in game one. Um, so yeah, I just got completely wrecked. Well, that sounds like a wonderful experience. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, seeing as my tournament is very soon, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Slightly shorter show than usual today, but I think we covered the, uh, the OP announcements fairly in depth. Yeah, good luck, have fun. All right, well, I've got to do this. Crush it end of show things first before we say goodbye uh, so if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com crack is spelled c-r-a-i-c uh, you can also tweet at us you can tweet at skullcrack on twitter if you want to let us know what you think of the show or make any suggestions or anything like that and that is going to do it for us this week thanks for listening bye 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 back with some more extra turns and uh last week um the harrison certainly got harried by by Kieran's questions um so uh now we have returned to line versus wolf where the line yeah. will face off against the wolf Kieran lines david wolf pun on their names uh so this one's gonna be a little bit different right we're gonna we're gonna i'm gonna ask a few questions but we're also going to paint a narrative uh this is a very special edition of line versus wolf because this is all about david wolf's favorite magic gathering mechanic uh, now, for the first, for a bonus point, uh, Kieran, can you guess what David Wolf's magic favorite Magic the Gathering mechanic is? In my opinion, uh, for it a bonus is point, is Megamorph. Uh, it is not Megamorph, but it's Morph. So we'll give it to you. That's the one question. Nice. We'll answer for a line. Uh, Wolf, do you agree that this is your favorite mechanic? Um, probably not. No, but yeah, we'll go with it anyway. I haven't thought about the question. Oh. <laughs> Looks like Kieran just lost his point. That's the point. What? Well, he guess he he guessed what the he guessed what it was in my opinion. Um, yeah, this so, doesn't uh, seem like a fair quiz if the opponent could just say your answer is wrong and you <laughs> lose the point. <laughs> oh well, this is this is this is going to be an extremely unfair uh, quiz. Uh, so this that. is all about this is all about uh, the morph mechanic. So uh, this is inspired by an article on uh, 
Playable, playablemagic.com, they posted an article basically about all the interesting rules interactions with Morph uh, ahead of the Commander 2019 um, deck. Uh, I think it's called, ooh, I have the name put up here somewhere. Um, uh, the deck is called Faces Menace, which is has the Commander Kadena, Slinking Sorcerer, which is a uh, Morph Commander. So uh, yeah, kind of building hype for Commander Morph 2019. Uh, we're going to do some questions. All right, so question number one. Uh, I'll, I'll, well, since Kieran got uh, a point um, at the start, uh, we'll start off with Wolf. Uh, right. to, do I have? Yeah, I have an even number of questions. Okay, so first of all, we'll do the same thing. Yeah, if, if you get it wrong, we'll pass it over. So for Wolf, uh, Morph as a mechanic first appeared in Onslaught. But what cards from Alpha allowed players to play with a primitive version of this mechanic? What? Say that again. Sorry, so Morph first appeared in Onslaught, okay? Yeah. As a mechanic. Yeah. But uh, there was a card in Alpha Sorry, there's one yeah one card in Alpha that allowed players to play with a primitive a primitive version of Morph. So a card that kind of did Morph stuff, but oh, wasn't oh. exactly Morph. Yes, there's a card that like turned creatures face down. Um, uh, I think it was like I don't know the actual name of the card, but like I I think the art is like a mask, some kind of like tribal mask. Is that right? That is, yeah, that correct. is correct. Yeah, that is correct. What, what's Does, the Kira uh, know the name of the card? Do you know? Do you want to get? I know guess? the name, but I think Wolf has almost got yeah. it. So. Yeah, you want, to, you want to guess the name, Wolf? Uh, tribal mask. <laughs> <laughs> that is close, but wrong. Uh, Kieran. It is an uh, illusionary mask. Is the card? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, Kieran to to a, an easy lead. All right. Uh, second question for Kieran. Uh, when it appeared in cans, Morph was visually represented as a swirl of draconic magic. Would in onslaught? What was used to visually represent morphed creatures? Um, the, I mean, like there wasn't a token, right? You just you, you had the card face down. Uh, I kind of on art of other cards, uh, there was like an, I think there actually is a morph token. Let's double check, but uh, kind oh. of the way it was represented on on like when 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 a creature was morphed, you know, according to other cards, uh, had like a physical manifestation uh, in in kind of the flavor of magic. Did that make sense? Yeah. So I don't know what there was. Uh, uh, this wolf. Yeah. So, like in in cans, uh, like you had the morph token, and you could see that the morph token had all this like orange, swirly, like dragony tails coming off it, uh, and you could see that yeah. in some of the morph cards uh, art as well. But in onslaught, the morph cards, uh, there there was no morph token. I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah. but the art on the morph cards often had similar. They they often had similar art or like depicting the same thing. They were basically they were depicted as like these kind of like clay spiders, right? Uh, that is correct. Yeah, it's good. I think I can't remember right now. It looks, like, it looks like there was tokens, maybe not in onslaught, but in tempest uh, there was war cards, and yeah, they're represented as the same in onslaught, represented as yeah, kind of clay spiders. Uh, it's the the set symbol for onslaught mm. is uh, like a spider kind of thing, which is 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 what morphs uh, apparently were back then. And they the uh, cool. creatures. They first sail of the clay spiders. Yeah, they break open and, and the real creatures inside. Surprise! Boom. All right. Now, Kieran is 2-1 as we go into um, uh, into our line versus Wolf. This is the actual the actual tournament. What? So now we're going to paint a picture. If David Wolf... Well, it's just more questions. Uh, David Wolf is playing against Kieran Lines in the uh, the World Championship Final. The player tournament, whatever it's called now. Um, a big high-level tournament. Uh, it's Kieran versus versus David. Uh, and David Wolf is, they're both playing their favorite decks. Um, so in this final, David Wolf, this is, this is a question for Kieran, right? David Wolf casts Woolly Loxodon face down as a 2 2 for three mana. Kieran has Aether Gust in his hand, uh, which he is considering casting, uh, targeting the spell on the stack. But what color is Woolly Loxodon when it's face down on the stack? It's, uh, it's no color, it's colorless. Yeah, uh, that is correct. Uh, and then over to Wolf. So the game goes on. Uh, so Kieran can't. He's, so Kieran can't uh, target it with Aether Gust. Uh, but fortunately, Kieran has the Kieran Lines signature card on the battlefield, uh, Chalice of the Void. Uh, so, so for a question for Wolf, uh, how many counters does Chalice of the Void need to have uh, to counter a face down Woolly Loxodon on the sack? Uh, um, I'm not too sure actually. I guess on the, is it like like double cards or on the stack it has. Sorry, there's if someone at the door has if someone at the door has an answer for you. Yeah, that's cheating. There's kids playing knickknacks on me. <laughs> <laughs> that's really old man wolf. 
Well, maybe one of them knows the answer. Will. Uh, I'm going to guess that when it's on the stack, it's not, it doesn't, the converted mana cost is not three. I'm going to guess that the converted mana cost is like whatever the actual mana cost is. I'm not sure what Woolly Loxodons is. I, I think it's six. Uh, that is incorrect. Uh, uh, Kieran. It's, uh, yeah, the, the CMC is three, so it's six catters on Charles of the Wood. Uh, that's also wrong. Uh, you're all wrong. Uh, so a morph spell on the stack has a CMC of zero uh, and it's colorless. Oh, so, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, so actually, yeah, it's, it's, the more I dug into this, the more interesting it is uh, that it's, um, while it's on, yeah, so while it's on the stack, it's a, it's a, it's a colorless 2 creature with convert mana cost of zero. So the morph, the cost, you know, when you pay three mana, that's basically treated as an alternate casting cost for a colorless creature spell. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Very interesting. So that's uh, one point for Alan. Um, because no, I'll, we won't, won't say I'm playing. All right. Um, now the, the, the combat goes on. So sorry, that was a question I asked Wolfer. So Kieran. So the 2 2 colorless creature enters the battlefield. Uh, now, David, because he's playing in, in this World Championship, fi- in this World Champions, Champions, Championships final, uh, Wolf is playing a, a morph deck. So Woody Locks on enters the battlefield as a 2 2 colorless creature face down. But Wolf also has another. Uh, you know, face down two two colorless creature. Um, now David also has Guardian Project. If you remember Guardian Project, Guardian Project from mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, that recent set. Dave, Dave also has Guardian Project um, in play, which triggers whenever a non-token creature ETBs if it doesn't have the same name as another creature you control. So now his David's other morph is not Woody Luxodon. So when the morphed Woody Luxodon enters the battlefield, uh, will he get a trigger from Guardian Project? Um. No, it doesn't have a name at all, so you don't get a, a trigger because it doesn't have the same name. Wait, wait, what um, does Guardian Project do if it doesn't have the same name? Oh, so then you do get a trigger because it doesn't have a name. Is that uh, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, so so uh, yeah, these colorless creatures don't have names uh, when they're when they're morphed. So uh, you will draw a card off Guardian Project, nice. no matter how many morphs you have in play. Um, That's pretty sweet. All right, uh, back over to David. That's one for Kieran. So it's uh, yeah, back over to David. Uh, Guardian Project. Yeah, so. David draws a card from Guardian Project, Guardian Project, but alas, it is only a land. Um, however, uh, David decides to cast the land card. What is the only land card in Magic that can be cast? This, this, this is for me or Wolf? Sorry, it's for Wolf. This is for Wolf, yeah. Uh, the only land card in Magic that can be cast? Is it Dryad Arbor? No, that's incorrect. Uh, over to Kieran. It's uh, Zoetic Caverns. Zoetic Cavern, correct. <laughs> it is a, a morph land card from... What did I say, Future Sight? Yeah, it's got, it's just a, a, it produces colorless mana and it has morph. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. in the uh, Azuri Claw of Progress pre-con commander deck, which is why I knew that. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. <laughs> That's a great pre-con. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, this, this is a question, this is a question for Kieran. Um, so Kieran, oh, I like how so far the questions have aligned up perfectly with players doing actions. All right, Kieran casts, um, so yeah, so David's uh, face down with Oxalon is on the battlefield. Uh, Kieran casts Wipe Away. You know, wipe, so Wipe Away is the split second bounce target permanent card. So Kieran casts Wipe Away on David's 2 uh, 2 creature. Um, so now, as the spell resolves, uh, David has to do something to avoid a judge call. Uh, what is this? This is for this is for me? This is for you, yeah. yeah. Uh, he has to reveal the morph to show that it is, in fact, a morph card. Yeah, uh, that is correct, yeah. So whenever a morph changes zone, uh, you have to reveal it. Um, so back over to David. Uh, Wolf, if. Uh, if David had, fa- had a face-down manifested card from Cloudform that got bounced by Kieran, uh, would you have to reveal it too? Um, I feel like you wouldn't ask unless the answer was no. <laughs> so I'm going to say no. Uh, the answer is yes, you would have to. Sorry. Well, I mean, Kieran would have guessed yes if it went back over to him. Uh, the answer is yes, you have to reveal it. So um, this rule, I think it's rule 707.9, uh, says that all face, card, all, face card down, all face down cards have to uh, be revealed when they change zones. I actually didn't know that. I would have said uh, I would have said no. Yeah, it's funny actually. Yeah, so even even at the end of the game, a manifested card you'd have to reveal it, um, even yeah, though yeah, it could, it's, it's still it still can't be any card. I noticed like learning so much from this. All right, back over to Kieran. Um, so same question again, but now if you're tar- if you're targeting a, a, a two two colorless creature produced by Ugu and the Ineffable, uh, and you bounce that, uh, what happened? Um, are, are you asking? Does he have to reveal it? Sorry, does he have to? Yeah, would you have to reveal it as a as a spell? Could you say it again? What Ugin doesn't so, produce uh, a card; it produces a token. Um, I, yeah, I guess I, I got if if yeah, a creature created by a creature created by is plus one. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can't reveal it because it's a token, so there's nothing to reveal. 
Yeah, so we basically got the question. <laughs> got the question right. Uh, I guess, yeah, kind of, so Ugin Neffel kind of gets around. So, yeah, manifested cards kind of kind of still abide by this rule that you have to reveal face-up cards, uh, even though manifest card can be any card. Whereas Ugin Neffel, it's, uh, you're, you're, you're exiling the card face down and making the token kind of separate. They're, they're separate entities. So, yeah, so it's not a face-down creature. Even though kind of in play, people kind of shortcut it and play it as if it is a face-down card, uh, oh, it is a token yeah. created separately from the, from the thing, yeah. Um, all right, so final question for Wolf. Um, so wipe away is a space second card, so you can't can't cast spells in response to it. Um, uh, however, yeah, so you can't you can't you usually can't cast spells in response to um, a space second card. Uh, however, uh, because morphs are are <laughs> abide by a different set of rules, uh, you can uh, activate a morph ability in response to a space second card. So in response to uh, Kieran casting or uh, casting wipe away on the face end, fully locks on. Uh, Wolf activates Wiyoksan's morph ability, turning it face up in response. So, uh, you know, morphs being, I don't know why he does that, but he decides to do it. Um, now, there are, uh, so there's only a few abilities, including morph, you can do in response to a split second card. Uh, but there is only one game action a player can take in response to a morph being turned up. Uh, and Wolf, do you know what that action is? Uh, I think I do. Okay. <laughs> is it, uh, it? Is it concede the game? It is concede the game. Game. According to rule 104.3a, a player can see the game at any time. A player concedes, loses the game immediately. So um, in response to David Wolf casting, uh, uh, turning over his Wiloxodon, Kieran concedes the game because Wiloxodon is such a wow. scary card. Uh, I don't so think even that though... works on Modo. You can't, I don't think you get the opportunity on Modo to concede. So. Uh, can you right-click concede? You can always right-click concede, right? I know, I know it. Yeah, you can do it, but you can't do it in response to them morphing. They just morph instantly. You can, you can press the button really quickly. You can press the button really quickly as it's turning over. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, you can make a keyboard shortcut. Uh, so uh, even though Kieran won this quiz 8-1, uh, Wolf won the imaginary uh, game of magic uh, by revealing Woody Loxodon. Yes. And Kieran conceding. Nice, so, um, nice. uh, so you at home can decide who the real winner of this line versus Wolf is. Is it the person who won the quiz based on their knowledge of the game or the person who won the, um, the hypothetical imaginary game? <laughs> Definitely, that it was me. It was me. No, no. <laughs> like any other game of Lion versus Wolf, the winner is me because I make the rules. Yeah. Tra -la 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 -la. Bye bye. <laughs> well done. That was good. Yeah, that was. Uh, I, 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 I learned a lot about Morph as I was making this quiz, uh, and I hope uh, you at home also did. Yeah. Thanks, Al. That was great. All right. That, that was uh, my worst quiz ever. Thanks. <laughs> so it wasn't your favorite mechanic. For record, what is your favorite mechanic, uh, Wolf? Uh, I still haven't thought about it, so I don't know. Oh. Probably flat so or outlast. Outlast? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you you purposely try to pick the most boring mechanic to read. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to think about it more. We'll, I'll I'll maybe elucidate you on that next week. All right. Now I have to go cool. play in the Arena Mythic Qualifier. So goodbye. Bye. Good luck. Crush it. <laughs>